The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sanerho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. And Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. Folks, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are certain to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz. They recently celebrated their 100th episode, and now is a great time to start listening as they head into the next century of episodes. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Oz. I just want to mention, uh, speaking of Catholics of Oz, I've been talking with Carolyn and uh, Lindsay and Lino from the Catholics of Oz about hot dogs and ketchup. You know, whether you put ketchup on hot dogs. That's, I did a poll on Facebook. And is, are you a ketchup or mustard person for hot dogs? And Carolyn says, well, we do tomato sauce. I'm like, is that ketchup? She's like, I don't think it is. So she went and found American ketchup. And she's and now she's like, I'm a ketchup fan. And now I'm like, <laughs> I want to find some Australian tomato sauce because I want to try that now. So, right. <laughs> I found that a interesting. <laughs> that, uh, that sells all kinds of uh, Australian foods to expats, like people living in the U.S. who are Australians, so they can get home, the taste at home. Vegemite. That's funny. It sounds like uh, when we lived in, um, in Chile for a little while and there was nothing in the store, like nothing, you could get nothing in the store because they were still under embargo for everything. Yeah. And we went to a restaurant and my mom found Heinz ketchup on the table and she went and bartered with the, uh, the owner of the restaurant and was like, can I take a case home? <laughs> That's amazing. For my dad, he'd like go to my mo- mom. Yeah. Put this in your purse. Put this in your purse. <laughs> yep. That was, a, that was my dad thing. So that's a total non sequitur. Go ahead and listen to the Catholics of Oz, sqpn.com slash Oz. So we do have some feedback from last time where we talked about browser extensions and content blockers. And Ben H. on Discord had uh, this to say. He said, if you're looking for a privacy-based browser like Brave, but prefer a Firefox base instead of Chrome slash Chromium, check out LibraWolf. Its settings may take a bit of getting used to when it comes to what's blocked on the website and how it's displayed, but with each update and version, it's getting better. It's striking that balance between privacy and functionality. On mobile, there are various options for the same thing, such as Mull, Bromite, and Fennec. All Android, of course. Uh, Android mobile, <laughs> in that case, I think. Another good blocker extension is the EFF, so Electronic Frontier Foundation, Privacy Badger. I'm sorry. I'm stumbling all over that. Uh, <laughs> Privacy Badger. Like Ghostry, it'll tell you how many trackers and other content items are blocked on each page, and you can toggle each item on or off if the blocking breaks something on the site. You can also report the page if the blocking still breaks the site after fiddling with the toggles. It claims to be learning how or what to block as you browse, but I'm not entirely sure how it works. That said, it's an extension trusted and recommended by the makers of a lot of privacy-focused browsers. Good. Very good, Brian. Thank thank you, Ben. That's uh, good advice and good addition to the conversation. So let's get into today's main topic, and we're talking about migrating from Windows or Mac OS to Linux. 
Uh, we've talked about Linux before. We talked about gaming on Linux. We talked. We've kind of jumped around the topic, but I, I wanted to get right to the heart of the question. If someone has finally convinced this is the time for me, and I'm going to make the jump from the walled gardens to the freedom of Linux and uh, climb out of the silo, or however you want to put it, and uh, so. The, the, and I can't, can't think of two people better to talk to about it than, than Jack and Thomas. So, guys, let's start with the question of, okay, I've made the decision. What's going to be different in the broad strokes? We can get into the details. But in the broad strokes, what's different between, you know, am I going to experience differently in Linux than I am going to experience in Windows and Mac OS? I'd say it's really going to depend on if you're coming from Mac OS or Windows, you're going to experience different things are going to be different. Um, one of the good things about Linux is that it's very customizable so that you can make it feel a lot like whatever your previous operating system was. And that's really helpful when you're initially moving over. I think the biggest thing you're going to miss from both Windows and especially from Mac OS is probably the level of polish on things. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that you're going to notice the most. But for the most part, the functionality is, especially at this point, um, it's pretty straightforward. Definitely. Yeah, I, th- I think the the other thing that you'll notice too, coming from uh, Windows or Mac, either one of them, to to Linux, is the fact that uh, there are a lot of different flavors of Linux. So if you're trying to make that jump, you're not going to be limited to the current version of Linux because there is no current version of Linux. And we'll get into talking about uh, distributions of the operating system in a minute. Uh, but that's that's the big thing you're going to realize is that there's no one telling you how you have to Linux. Whereas with both Windows and Mac, you get the newest thing or you're not supported. You know, I mean, Windows 10 right. or 11, maybe. Uh, but, you know, with Mac, definitely you're like on the latest version. And that's it. <laughs> right. You buy a computer, it's got the operating system on it. And that's that. Okay. So uh, anything else to, uh, on the broad strokes? No, okay. I think so. Well, let's get into some of the details. You mentioned, you know, coming over, it's, it's, there's not as much polish. I'm going to need to get my hands a little bit dirtier, a little dig into things a little more. What skills am I going to need to pick up as a Windows or Mac user uh, that now that I'm a Linux user? I'm glad to say that at this point, it, there's, to initially get into Linux, especially if you're just going to use it as your standard daily driver and you're not going to be doing a lot of different crazy configurations and stuff, um, it's actually not that difficult to do. Um, now, 10 years ago, <laughs> it would be a total different story. But at this point, you can pick a, one of the common distros, install it, and you're pretty much good to go. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of skills you'll want to develop, but that's because you get into it and you start going, oh, hey, I could do this thing. Oh, hey, I could change this over there. And and you'll want to play around with it. And so that's in any any user that becomes a power user. Uh, they're going to want to develop skills with the bash, uh, the command line tool. Uh, but if you're a person who tinkers anyway, you've probably learned how to do a little bit of that on Mac. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. You, you, can, uh, you can get very far in using the, the terminal and, uh, and, you know, text based commands on a Mac, which is which is a great way to begin. Exactly. And, and then I think for Windows users, one of the things that Windows is still catching up on is having an app store. And um, when you come to Linux, one of the things you're going to notice is that you 
get your software from an app store. That's how you get your software for Linux. It's just that it's all free. (laughs) And it's called a package manager, not an app store. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. And I mean, on a, on a Mac, it's like the like homebrew is a kind of a, a, Mm-hmm. analog to that it's it's got all it's a it's a program that has all kinds of software that it pulls in installs on your on your computer uh and and that's the same sort of thing on linux okay and um so What's let's one, one more thing to add oh, yeah? there too is you'll want to get used to searching for alternatives to commonly used programs that's that's something that you're going to do a lot of and it's Initially, it can feel kind of painful, but once you get into that and once you get over having everything be perfectly polished and finished uh, and you get a program that works, but that's open source, that's got a great community behind it, uh, you're going to love that aspect of it. <laughs> it, it feels you, hard at first. Can but you it's give good. me an example of something like a program that you find an alternative for? Yeah, absolutely. Photoshop's my my favorite go to because um, Photoshop's just so expensive and it's it's good. But if you're not a big company and you need something fixed, it's just not going to happen. You know, you've got you've got the particular use case that you need uh, and you're not going to get any support for that. Whereas the alternative, which is GIMP on uh, on Linux, it's a it's a free and open source. You can get it on Windows, too, if you want to. But uh, it's free and open source alternative. The community is so great that if you go in and you start asking for a particular tool or a particular tool to work a certain way, there's probably somebody that's really attached to that tool and they might pick up on what you are saying and say, oh, that's a great idea. And they can program it and you might have a, a change almost immediately. And it's not based on how much money you can throw at. <laughs> right. And I don't have to wait till next year's you know big revision and wait exactly. six months down the road to, to get that. That's a great point. Um, it's, it's very much seems community based. It's very much people helping people as opposed to necessarily big corporations selling you stuff. I mean, that really feels like the, the Linux way. Right. And one of the fun things about that is that eventually when you get to the point where you're, you know, your way around Linux and you've gotten into like programming it and stuff like that, you can make those changes yourself if you mm-hmm. so desire. No one's right. going to stop you. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So uh, we've kind of danced around a little bit, and I think we've talked about this before, but let's talk about it here again. So we mentioned distros. What's a distro and which is the best one for a newcomer to, to put it on their computer? So a distro is basically, so Linux is, there's the Linux kernel, which is like the underlying operating system for everything. And a distro is a particular flavor of that kernel that has additional packages on top of it, like the desktop environment, um, a lot of different customizations and things that go into it. Um, that's that's essentially what a distro is. But um, I would say that if you're going to start off uh, with Linux for the first time and you're first jumping into it, I would go with Linux Mint. Um, it's very easy to install. Everything works right out of the box. It's... Um, the design language for it, it uses the Cinnamon desktop environment, and it looks a lot like Windows, um, but it's very customizable. Alternatively, Ubuntu is a is another really good one, and Mint is actually based off of Ubuntu, so they share a lot of the same bones. And I think people who are coming from Mac OS would, might be more comfortable with Ubuntu because mm-hmm. it uses the GNOME desktop environment, and that is more of the Mac language, the design language, than uh, Cinnamon is. Okay. Yeah. And both of them are 
incredibly easy to install. They just work. And and they just work, and that's and that's the, that's the great thing about them is that they, you know, this is the one that I put on my wife's computer because she's not going to tinker with it, and it's Mint is the one that we use, and it's that's what it is, and um, and the reason I went to Mint was because I spent many years working with the one of the the hardest distros to work with, which was called Arch, and um, Arch is Arch is one that uh it's bare bones so it just takes the kernel and makes no opinions about how you do anything else and so you you start it up and it's got the it can communicate with the the hardware on your computer and that's about it mm. <laughs> and then you have to pick a you have to pick a desktop environment you have to pick a file manager you have to put all of this stuff together on top of it so i wanted i wanted to do that because i wanted to learn you know the really detail way and 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 sometimes you'll get to that point like you'll be fiddling around with linux and you're like well i want to see what's under the hood and i really want to get in there and do it and then just get arch and go <laughs> go learn how to do all of that stuff from the back end uh but eventually you'll go okay this is ridiculous <laughs> i'm tired of spending time fixing my computer i just want to use it <laughs> right right yeah have you can have your hobby computer on the side and exactly then, you know the one you do work on you, you get stuff done on um, exactly yeah I, I like to and of course it again goes without saying it probably but i'll say it they're free there's no cost mm-hmm. to either of these. You you just if you have a, if you have a computer, you can install this and get going from the from the start. So um, what about apps? You know, we met you mentioned GIMP as a substitute for Photoshop. But, you know, what about my other favorite apps? What am I going to use for web browsing and email and messaging and PDFs and all this sort of stuff I use on a daily basis to do basic stuff? You know, you, you know, apart from work, uh, just even just any computer use that we do the nice thing is that most of the common apps you're going to be using anyways are available uh chrome has a linux distro there's firefox firefox is the default on most distros actually Mm -hmm. um there's thunderbird which is a pretty good analog to outlook if you're looking for that um a nice thing though is that a lot of these services that you're going to be using are web-based anyway so the microsoft web apps are really good using them in the browser it's almost like using a desktop office. And then if you want to go desktop, there's both OpenOffice and LibreOffice, which are really good open source office programs. Okay. Yeah. And, and your package manager is really good at uh, interpreting your uh, search for uh, office. You type in office, it returns, it knows what you're looking for. <laughs> you, right. you type in Photoshop, it knows what you're looking for and it finds the the package that's related to that thing. And file formats are often like a lot of these file formats nowadays are pretty cross platform compatible. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of programs can output a Microsoft doc file. Now you know, Microsoft and Adobe, especially those, they're the two big ones. They learned a, not, too, not recently, but a, a while ago, how important it is to have formats for their files that can be opened by other programs by Mm -hmm. becoming the standard. And so um, if I work with people at, you know, who send me word docs, I can probably, if I could use the web-based one, like you said, Jack, like the web-based version of, of word, Microsoft word, but I could also use open office or LibreOffice and, and work with word docs. No problem. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's good. Yeah. And the only reason I would even, for me, would even really bother with the Microsoft web apps is if you're doing something in a corporate environment where they're going to want it to be that specific, uh, like the specific, there's a few specific features that go with Microsoft Office that are not in LibreOffice, but 
if if it's not anything that's required, I would say just go with the open source versions. Right, right. Yeah, like again, like my my wife has a Mac and she uses pages or whatever. She's she's just writing stuff for herself. Like she writes stuff in notes. You know, she's just doing it for herself. She's not needing to trade it with people. So, you know, those basic programs would probably be enough anyway and then save the money on paying for Office. Uh, that's exactly. what I said. Okay. Uh, and there's a PDF program. Uh, I see someone put a note about what PDFs in the uh, in the, yeah, in the I, doc. I threw one in. It's called Foxit. Um, I'll, I'll use it if I need to do some some more fancy PDF editing. And, there, and there's a few others out there that are open source. Uh, for the most part, though, I just use a browser <laughs> to yeah. open yeah. PDFs. Right, right, <laughs> then, right. You know, unless unless I need to edit it, and even then, there's a lot of ways to. I, I, I'm, I'm at the point where I just do that in the command line because <laughs> there's a bunch of tools in the command line already built to do that. Sure. Well, and that's the thing is like, and I think you, uh, you mentioned already so much is in the browser all, nowadays. Anyway, like everything mm-hmm. is a web app, whether it's mm-hmm. Airtable, which is a database or Slack, which is a, a, you know, a communal messaging system or discord is a, you know, or Facebook or all these programs. Like I look at all the, 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 the apps on my computer and many of them, most of them even have web versions that I could use, uh, especially if um, one of the benefits we didn't mention is Linux runs on a lot of different hardware. It runs pretty light on things. In other words, you don't it, it doesn't stress hardware. So a lot of these programs will run better in, even in the browser than they will on a, say, a Windows machine, even a relatively recent vintage one. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the other great things about Linux is that there's so many different distros for so many different uh, applications. Uh, You can get some more heavyweight ones, especially if you're looking at a lot of graphical stuff. Uh, I know Ubuntu has one called Ubuntu Studio, which just comes with tons of different Mm -hmm. uh, programs for video and audio and photo editing. Um, But on the same uh, on the other side, there's a, I think it's Raspbian, which is the Raspberry Pi mm-hmm. uh, Linux spin, and it's super lightweight because it runs on a Raspberry Pi. Right. Yeah, I've I have a Pi, and yeah, it's been uh, it's amazing just like how this fast little computer that could fit in my pocket, and it's just kind of amazing. This this the thing. Um, I did run into a problem with it where it stopped doing DNS resolutions they could stop <laughs> and i ended i ended up kind of abandoning it and, and using something else for what i was using it for uh and i'm probably gonna have to reinstall uh the the os on it which you know is kind of a thing but hey i, I can't talk just today i had to reinstall for the umpteenth time uh mac os on my mac studio because it's there's something wrong with it and it keeps doing that so it's not like linux has the as a corner on weird problems so right yeah well and when you get used to it too like installing a new distro is really easy because you just go find one right you don't have to pay 100 bucks 300 bucks you know you just just go find one. <laughs> oh, this one looks interesting let me try this one out you can try that one out and there you go uh, there's there's one that's like down to the kernel the kernel has been rewritten for audio syncing so if you're a musician and you want to make sure that all of the stuff that you do is syncing up perfectly um by the by the timestamp on the computer so if you're doing a lot of recording uh linux is a, a great option there because it's one of the very few that actually has the kernel built just for that purpose mm. that's the, yeah that's the interesting thing and so much I, I, and i 
maybe people don't realize so much of what we use out there, a lot of these web apps that we're using are running on servers that are running Linux. Much mm-hmm. of what we think of as the internet is just Linux boxes running software. Uh, and if you have an Android phone, you're running Linux. Right. 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 And, and let's be clear too. If you are on a Mac or an iPhone, there is a, there is a Unix kernel back in the deep in there like mm-hmm. the even the, even Mac, the max operating system and the ios systems are unix at their heart so there's there's that there's a connection in there and i would say that if you if you use a mac and you're familiar with the command line you're gonna have an easier time coming from a mac than coming from windows because most of the commands are the same right mm-hmm. yes that's true uh i have i i do use the the terminal the command line a lot and uh and I have recognized that, that a lot of this, this you know, this, I already understand sudo and, you know, man and directory commands and all that sort of stuff. And uh, don't ever do rm dash. You know, I won't even say it. because I, do, <laughs> I know these things already on my Mac. Um, so uh, that, yeah, that's a good point. So speaking of uh, iPhone and Android, how will I use those with Linux? Now, I, you know, because I w- with my Mac, I have my iPhone. And my photos get sucked down into Photos app on my computer. And how am I going to do that with a with a Linux machine, whether I'm an iPhone or Android user? This is where it starts to get a little more complicated uh, <laughs> okay. because the, and, the, and this is where the environment kind of takes play. And, and you're going to have a harder time coming from Apple to Linux for that reason, because with Apple, everything just works together. That's that's by design. They mm. they just communicate well. It works together. Uh, even the fact that Android is a Linux based system, they don't communicate that way because there's there's no assumptions made about what operating system you have and how how that um you know how that particular uh, distro is going to handle certain items or even what file management system you have on your distro. Uh, so they, there's no cohesive way that they can just operate together now that being said a lot of those apps are available on linux so mm-hmm. you're not going to be missing out on a lot of it because you know you can get a lot of those apple apps uh for linux so that you can run some things on your linux system okay mm-hmm. yeah in my case because i went from a mac book and an iphone to an android phone and a linux uh computer and I use Google Photos for my photos. I have uh, my Google Drive synced with my KDE account. And I use the uh, Google Messages in the browser, which is similar to using iMessage on your Mac. And it's not as seamless, but it's 99% of the way there, I'd say. Yeah. And and that's another, this is another area where web apps are your friend. You can access, if you're an Android user, you can access all of the Google cloud stuff from the browser if you're an iphone user you can access icloud from a browser and all the photo stuff so it's not like you'd have to stop using those you can still use them it just won't be in a necessarily it might i I think you're right you know if if what you're saying was true is like that the apple is making some linux apps for some of their services Mm -hmm. but you know even without that you can use the, the browser based versions of that as well so you can still have those so that's good um and uh, you said there's an is there's an open source Apple Music app as well. Yeah, so Apple does not make a native 
Apple Music app, but there's an open source one called uh, Cider, which I like the like the play on words there. Um, <laughs> and I've not personally used it, but just looking over what it provides, it looks pretty darn close to what you get on the Mac. And apparently it's it's got good reviews and it's well supported. Interesting. And Apple allows it. Yeah, I suppose you have to log in to your Apple account somehow in order for that to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that is interesting. Yeah. So what about games? Can I can I play games on my Linux? I, mean, I know we talked about this in a previous episode, but, you know, we, we should bring it up again. Well, I mean, yeah, you have a Steam Deck, so you already are. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the Steam Deck is a small Linux computer. I assume yeah. Switch is probably a Linux computer, too. I don't, know. I don't know what the back end of it is. Probably. Yeah. It would make sense. It's got a lot of uh, a lot of compatibility with Steam, so I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but it's it, this is a sticking point for a lot of people, and it used to be a really big problem. Um, it is not as big a problem anymore. Uh, there are a lot of ways to play uh, games on on Linux. Uh, Steam is the best, honestly. Uh, Steam has a, a system called Proton inside of it that basically runs. Uh, there's this backend uh, Wine program which is windows or wine is not an emulator that's the the recursive uh, <laughs> uh representation there uh but it's kind of a an emulator of windows and that's the way you used to have to do it was you have to install wine and do all these things on the back end to try and figure out how to get your game working but nowadays you just go get it on uh on steam you open it up you tell steam that you want to run it with proton and i barely even question whether or not i can run a game if it's on steam and is only windows anymore i just assume that it's going to work in proton or or i'll just wait a little while i i bought cyberpunk 2077 first day and it worked better for me than it did for windows users wow so yeah <laughs> you know what just <laughs> go figure <laughs> but um, i'm assuming that the same thing applies in linux that it does in windows or mac you want gaming hardware like this isn't yes. a i can yeah. take my cast off you know, a business laptop, low-end business laptop, and play great games on it. You are going to need a good CPU and a good graphics card, regardless. Right. In some cases, you're also going to need better, just because you're you're running a layer between the game and the hardware uh, that is translating the game to the hardware. So you do want you do probably want at least as good as what's recommended uh, for the for middle middle of the road for any game that you're going to play. Okay. Yeah, I remember. Uh, Jeff Gearling, who we had on as a guest a while ago, doing on his YouTube channel, um, trying to get like this high end game, brand new game running on his, I think it was an Arch Linux computer, mm-hmm. which you know, I, I, that's probably why he was having troubles. Mm-hmm. But talking about, you know, trying to optimize it, he was trying to get it to run as fast as possible and that sort of thing. And again, if you like to tinker, that's great. But what we're saying here is you don't have to tinker necessarily. You just, you know, take take the easier road too. Yeah. And if you're a person who doesn't like Steam or if you have uh, an account with Epic Games and and some of the other providers that are out there there's uh there's a network called Lutris. It's a it, it's a app that you get from the apps or from the the package manager in Linux. And it does a lot of the same stuff that Proton does, but it can do it for multiple different uh loading environments. So you can have your Epic Games in there, you can have um some other kinds of, uh, of uh, managers and it just kind of bundles them all up in one. And I'll be honest, it does take a little bit more tinkering. And because most of my games are on steam, I haven't really sat down to 
to work with it very closely, but I did get it for uh, Witcher 3 when I got that downloaded <laughs> and I wanted to run that and did not have it on Steam. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try and figure out how this works. Uh, I am going to recommend folks go back and listen to our episode 188, where we talked all about gaming on Linux and there's a mm-hmm. lot more detail about all this there. And you'll want to you know get into that um, and because there's a lot of great information there. So uh, if you go to starquest.fm slash TEC one eight eight that'll that'll get you there. Um, so uh, so that's gaming. What about like v- antivirus and security software? Is Linux safe? Am I going to get hacked? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> like just today, uh, Apple put out a zero day security upgrade. By the way, if you have any Apple devices, run the operating system upgrades for those because mm-hmm. it's a it is a dangerous zero day exploit. Do I get anything protection on Linux? So there's two two sides to this coin. Um, one, because Linux is open source, uh, it's the code's out there, so people can see what what the code is made of, and they can figure out how to exploit it. But that actually provides a lot of an advantage to uh, to the developers because it means that a lot of people are sitting there looking at the code and figuring out how things are going to go wrong. Um, and then, as you said, like a majority of the Internet is actually run on Linux. And because of that, Linux has to be hardened, like it has to be really secure. Now, you're not assured any security from Linux that is better than other systems. But regularly, there are uh, security reviews that come up that say that Linux is safer than either Mac or uh, Windows. So you know, take it for what you will. I, that does not ever mean that you should not have a, an antivirus system. You need an antivirus system on your computer, regardless of what you have. <laughs> right, right. And there's other uh, security steps. And, you know, and maybe that's a future topic for us is to just talk, to talk specifically about security on Linux. The, mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that's what I think. Uh, but yeah, that that's a first step anyway. And one nice thing about the code being open is that there are no built-in backdoors for like mm-hmm. government agencies or any corporate backdoors that are put in there, which other operating systems may have, but you may not know about because you can't look at the code. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's important to emphasize. And I don't think we can emphasize it enough. Anyone can look at all the code. There's no, is that, is that correct? Is like all of the code is available for anyone to look at um, in the operating system. So there's no hidden stuff. I mean, it's, I mean, unless hidden, but through obscurity, but no, but there's no walls to prevent you from seeing, you know, proprietary information, that sort of thing. Exactly. And and they very often do code reviews too, which is part of the open source community where they put the code out to specific groups and say, look, can you look at this and make sure that there's nothing wrong with it? And uh, you know, they have hackathons where people go in and, and attempt to break the code. And with Google, it's trial and error. Like if you're trying to, to hack Google stuff or if you're trying to hack Windows, it's just trial and error. You just go and try a whole bunch of stuff. With Linux, you can just go look at the code and you go, <laughs> huh, I think this would be a, an exploit. I could probably try this. And that makes it that makes anything you try to do to hack it a lot better. Like you're not just stabbing around in the dark. You know exactly what the map is and you know all the choke points and you can try it out. And, and figure out whether or not it works. And that makes it a lot more secure because now 
we know exactly what you did to to use that hack. We can go back and edit the code as the the creators of Linux and make it even better. Right. And it certainly doesn't mean that there aren't exploits for Linux out there mm-hmm. that come up. You know, there's been some notable ones in the news we've talked about in, in headlines in the past where, you know, various bits of open source software and someone figures out, hey, wait, there's a there's this exploit that we could use on this. Uh, and but it gets fixed and or people, mm-hmm. eat, you know, they take it out of their software and they replace it with something else because we can't fix that and, or they're not willing to fix it or whatever the reason is. And we move on. Um, It's a lot more egalitarian in a sense, because it's a level playing field for everyone. So how do I, how do I start? What's my first step? I'm ready to go tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm a Linux guy. Uh, I'm I'm not really, I'll have my Mac tomorrow, but let's just say I am. (laughs) What do I do? (laughs) Actually, I'm tempted to get to, 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 to actually have a Linux computer to, to play with. I mean, besides my Pi, Raspberry Pi, uh, just to get started, maybe to give to my son, who's about ready to start his own journey, uh, computing journey, that might be a good place for him to start. So how do I, how do I start? What steps do I take? First thing you want to do is get a USB thumb drive, pick out a distro you want to try out. You make a bootable image on the thumb drive, which is not hard to do at all. I would recommend using an old computer that you don't mind messing with. Plug it in, boot into the thumb drive, and you can just start playing with the operating system. You don't even have to install it right off the bat. You can use it from the thumb drive. And then if you decide that's the one you want, you go through the install process. And it's pretty much just clicking through and setting things up. Okay. Yep. It's that easy. <laughs> it, really, it really is. It's just that it's a very, very simple process. And there's, there's a lot of options out there, too, that allow you to dual boot so that you can have a, a Windows machine or, and a Linux machine existing on the same device. And that's not a bad idea if you have enough uh, disk space or if you want to put a new disk in your uh, system. If you've got a desktop that you can just throw an extra disk in and you want to try and just boot Linux in at, uh, side by side with Windows, go for it. Okay. Yeah. Sounds it sounds like fun. I mean, it sounds easy. <laughs> so, um, what do I? What kind of hardware do I need? What what should I get? Do I need to get a new computer to do this, or can I use my my old computer? That's the good thing about Linux is that it does run uh, pretty lightweight. There's a lot of good distros out there designed specifically for older hardware. Uh, there's Lubuntu, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, it's a very lightweight version of Ubuntu. Uh, CentOS is another good one. Um, and they're very light on resources. And I actually have a, a laptop that I, I think it's almost 15 years old. And I just put Linux on it the other day and it it runs fine. So that's that's honestly the best way to get into Linux is if you have an old computer that you just want to mess around with, put Linux on it and it's going to run 100% faster than it is on whatever previous operating system it's on. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you've got something that's dying and you want to bring it back to life. Put Linux on it. Yeah. <laughs> it'll it'll overwrite whatever's there. And then you just and you have a brand new system that operates. It just works. It, it's amazing how often this will happen too. And I'll I'll I, a lot of times when I'll go to people and they have something that's unfixable or that I can fix it, but it's gonna be too uh it's gonna be too expensive and they're like, Well, I might as well just go ahead and get a new computer. Uh then I'll ask, Hey, can I just take this one? And they're like, Yeah, I'm just gonna throw it away. And I'll take that home, put Linux on it, and there you go. Now I've got a new kid, new new computer for my kids. <laughs> okay. And can can I do it with Macs? Can I put Linux on an old Mac? 
if you want an adventure. <laughs> uh, so Intel Max, yes. The M1 Max, there are some experimental projects going on right now, but I don't think it's really ready for okay. prime time. But on one of the old, an older, before in, bef- the pre-Silicon Max, the older Intel Max, um, yeah. I think I did that once a long time ago. I put Ubuntu on an old Mac uh, for a little while just for fun. Uh, and then I got scared and came back, but um, <laughs> it was in the old days when it was when it was still kind of janky and hard. So um, it may be time for me to. Yeah, I've got a stack of old Macs in a closet here, so it may be time for me to try it. That's the that's the great thing about it, though, is that I actually got into Linux initially. I was probably fifteen or sixteen, and I had a laptop that I needed for school, and it was this beat up old. I think it was a Compaq. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's how old it was. And it had Windows on it, but it was running horribly, but I still needed to use it. So I ended up putting Linux on it. And that's how I initially got into Linux. And it helped me to learn a lot about how to even work with a computer beyond just using it. And I mean, it ran fine for probably another like four or five years. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, by the way, young men, if you're listening, um, we're all married, we have kids. You can be a nerdy, geeky teenager and grow up to have a girl that likes you and wants to marry you and have a family with you. And, and, and puts up with your work, with your tinkering with computers, too. It's, exactly. it's amazing. Yeah. Well, usually because it gets you a good job. But... Yeah, this is true, too. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and girls, by the way, uh, lots of girls who are uh, fun, uh, geeky types. My own mother-in-law, Pat, who's on the show with us all the time, she's, you know, she's about the nerdiest, geekiest uh, woman I know. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an awesome thing. So Now, Definitely. I do have to recommend two websites if you are interested in, um, in getting a Linux laptop, like a, a laptop that has no operating system on it or that comes with Linux pre-installed. Uh, there is a website called laptopwithlinux.com. And... They have some pretty good laptops that come with Linux pre-installed. You pick your flavor of Linux. You uh, put it on. Mostly, they tend toward Mint or Ubuntu. Uh, so that, but I mean, even if you got that, you can easily replace it if you wanted to try something else with, with what you have. Uh, the other side of it is there's uh, this one called System Seventy Six, and they make some phenomenal looking laptops and uh, and other types of computers, desktop computers. That you had to have Linux installed on them, so I highly recommend them. If uh, I, either one of those two, if you're interested, cool. If you have to have a new system right. to put Linux on, <laughs> you, you want an excuse to spend some money. Yes, <laughs> I would also say System Seventy Six uh, has their own um, flavor of Linux, and it's based off Ubuntu called Pop OS. That's actually really good for getting into Linux, and they've designed it specifically to be a good jumping off point for people. Okay. Yeah. That, I think that's come up on the show before as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like fun. If you're, if you're a tech geek, I mean, and you get an extra old computer laying around, there's no reason not to do this, just to, mm-hmm. to learn something new, expand your horizons. I mean, this is where I'm definitely going to do this. I, I, I've decided um, I'm going to drag out an old, my wife's got an old Dell. This thing is probably close to 20 years old, but I may drag it out and, see what happens <laughs> so the, the other side of that is i have that the computer that i run right now is a 10 year old computer well, actually it's more it's probably more like 13 years old and it still runs great like i still can run uh triple games now i bought it really powerful at the time I, I specifically designed it to be really powerful at the time 
but it has not degraded. And that's the thing is like you get a Windows machine and you have it for this long. It's going to degrade. There's just going to be a bunch of buildup of junk on it. And eventually you're just going to have to get a new machine. With this one, I just install a new operating system. Back up all my files, install a new operating system, pull all my files back over. Good to go. And right. I've only had to do that once in the whole time that I've had it. What do you use for backup, by the way? Just to, I don't think we brought that up. Uh... I, I actually run a cron job. I got in the command line and wrote a cron job to, to okay. run backups for myself. But there are there are backup uh, softwares that are made specifically for Linux machines. Okay. Um, and if and if you're smart about it, you uh, don't need to run the backup quite as often because you can put the backup on a on a, a network mounted drive. And use that network mounted drive to to do your backup, and Linux handles that really well. It's really good at uh, at dealing with that kind of stuff because essentially you can separate out the operating system from the file system, and your files live somewhere completely different than the actual operating system itself. Right. Mm -hmm. If you have a reasonably fast uh, network, you could live off the files on the network drive. Mm -hmm. Is what you're saying? Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty good. Awesome. Mm, making me think. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I bleed six colors. I mean, this, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm never leaving Max uh, behind, but uh, I will certainly. Uh, uh, by this time, the the by the fall, there'll probably be a Linux computer sitting on my desk besides the Steam Deck. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Our diabolical plan is working. I'm not converting. I'm only taking a step <laughs> into the pool. I was going to say, you say that now. <laughs> Oi, Kavelt. I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm going to leave the Catholic Church and become Jewish. I mean, this is like, I feel like I'm, I'm making a big, big commitment here, a big step. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on. I hope that's been helpful to folks. And if you've at all interested in Linux and you have other questions, we'd love to get them from you. And, and if you have any advice for people that we didn't cover, we'd love to hear from you as well. You can send your questions or tips into technology at sqpn.com. Uh, we're uh, we're going to go into headlines in a second. I want to thank patrons, but I do want to also a little bit of an announcement. Uh, there won't be an episode of Secrets of Tech next week as we record this. If you're listening to this sometime in the future, you can ignore that. But uh, we're taking a bit of a summer break at SQPN at StarQuest. And uh, so we're going to take a week off for most of our shows. Several of our shows that are pre-recorded will still be coming out, but um, they will be back the following week. So just so folks know. And I want to take a moment now to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Tara H, Francis B, Carla K, Marilyn K, and Kip C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So let's talk about some headlines. The first headline is from the UK's The Guardian, and it concerns a breakthrough in stem cell research where some researchers have devised a way to create synthetic human embryos using stem cells. And they call them model embryos. They assure us that they they can't they won't ever be implanted and you know, to grow to be a full human being that's been born, that's been gestated and born. Uh, they don't have a beating heart or the beginnings of a brain. And I'm, I've tried to read this pretty carefully. I'm not a 
embryologist or a scientist of this sort. But this whole thing feels kind of hinky to me. Does it feel weird to you guys? Does this seem like we're creating human beings to kill them? Is 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 that really what's going on here? What do you guys think of this? I'm not an ethicist or a biologist, so I can't I can't speak fully, but it does definitely raise a lot of this is like the replicants from Blade Runner and we're going to make a, sla- a, a race <laughs> of slave humans or something. But yeah, it, it seems creepy and weird and they're using embryonic stem cells, which is an issue in of itself to begin with. Right. So the only way to get those from? is to yeah. abort a child. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to take the opposite stance here and say, it's interesting because they are, it's like a cancer cell, Right. And but it's like a it's a positive cancer cell in the way that it's a set of cells that can continue to grow and develop itself. And that that's the only way I could justify this. Now, ethically, I think there's a lot of questions here, but I don't feel like this is ever something that could become a human. So it's not like it's not like what they're taking is an an actual embryo that could become a human, but they're just growing clean cancer cells essentially that that was the question because there's it the, the language of this at some points it sounds like we're just growing structures mm-hmm. and then at other points they're, they're saying um we're taking cultivating the embryos to a stage just beyond the equivalent of 14 days of development for a natural embryo and it's like well so what are we actually doing then because like, embryo is an embryo right mm-hmm. or or am I wrong? And I, I kind of wish I had an expert who could tell me what's going on here. But um, it the 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 bigger issue here is the dangers of one of the things they 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 say. Well, we we just don't know enough about this stage of human development. We don't know about this mm-hmm. this stage of growth of human beings. We can't we can't study it without doing this. And there's a question of is well then. Sh- should we study it? Like, right. Is the fact that we don't know reason enough to do the, a thing when there is questions about the morality and ethics of it? My biggest problem with it is actually uh, not a moral one, but a question of what exactly they're accomplishing, because this is a single set of embryonic stem cells that they're replicating over and over and over again. And if all you do is study a single human being, many 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 times you're not getting a different result you're getting the same human being many 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 times and that's essentially the same thing that they're doing here now they may have a bulk of them they may have like you know a a set of them but that's still not a representative set that's not enough to say this is uh like we're doing a study on a completely new uh strain when they've just copied the same strain over to a new set right and and that's that's what these all they always end up talking about all of the research we can do and it's like well what do you really research i mean you're you're researching the same set of things over and over and over again really shouldn't you move on to something new yeah i would assume that it allows them to research a earlier stage of human development and the way cells self-assemble and replicate that you cannot do otherwise. And that really, I would be interested to hear from a bioethicist, like from the Catholic point of view about if you could accomplish this same kind of thing and make the same kind of 
I guess you could call them like golem embryos out of uh, non-embryonic stem cells, Mm -hmm. would there be a moral issue? Mm. Right. They talk about how, you know, they, this one group of researchers using stem cells from mice have worked to, you know, the, create the beginnings of a brain and a beating heart and an intestinal tract. And I'm like, if you do that with human cells, that, that seems to cross a line for me. I mean, once you've got, Mm. you know, that's really like, that's a clear line. The, even before that I have problems and I, I understand what they're, I think what they're trying to study, which is differentiation. How do we go from stem cells, which can become anything and how do they decide to become heart brain you know muscle uh, how does that how does that function how does that work and i get that i just don't know whether the price is worth it and that's the, that's the thing you know maybe that we need an ethicist to help us navigate mm. this issue um but it's something certainly to to keep in mind and to to keep an eye on and to be aware of um because these issues are only become more and more and they're they're very technical and it's it's easy yeah. to for us to kind of get lost and say they must know what they're doing and mm-hmm. be okay with it all right from the uh the deep to the ridiculous let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this kind of goes to the this next story kind of goes to sort of social contract of the internet um so there's a website called fandom.com they host wikis and wikis are um, user editable sites. Wikipedia is the most famous. Anyone can go in and edit and add in or subtract and or change information on these pages. And then other users can go back. It's sort of like Linux where, you know, someone can do something ridiculous, but because anyone can edit, you kind of trust the crowd to create something that's usable for everyone and it won't be ruined by what, you know, a few bad actors. Okay. So that's, that's fandom they're a commercial company, but they host a lot of these. And they have like a Star Trek one that I use all the time and a Doctor Who one and various Stargate one. This one. Um, so they also have a McDonald's one where they maintain an unofficial McDonald's history. And of all, and they have all of those marketing characters. They have the Ronald McDonald, the Hamburger page, and there's a page for Grimace. And unless you're a Gen Xer, you might not know who Grimace is uh, until recently. Uh, but I was Grimace, say until recently, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Grimace was, is this big purple kind of fluffy character, um, which I think he has something to do with the shakes. Like Hamburger is about the burgers, you know. What I mean, like each of the different characters of the historical all had connection to one of the food things. And I think he was like a shake one. In any case, McDonald's is doing a big promotion regarding the character Grimace. And like, there's a Grimace meal and they went to fandom and paid them to take over the Grimace page and turn it into a big advertisement for their campaign. And that's the heart of the problem that has been brought up by a lot of people, which is there's a social contract with wikis. You can't just turn a page into an advertisement that other people have contributed to and helped create. It's it's not it it violates the 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 unspoken and sometimes spoken social agreement. What do you guys think of this? Well, it just shows that they don't actually understand or care how much work people put into these wikis, like. This is they essentially get free content by hosting this. Mm-hmm. 
and that generates a lot of ad traffic for them because fandom's really popular. They have pages for almost anything, apparently McDonald's, which I didn't know about. Um, but once you start doing things like this, no one is going to put in that time and effort because they're not getting paid when they're writing this content. Yeah. No one's going to put in that time and effort to work on these pages and craft craft what they're doing if they think it's just going to get taken over by some corporate advertisement. It's a great way to lose your fandom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I when I'm like working on a Secrets of Doctor Who episode, sometimes I will have just you know watched uh, an episode or listened to an audio story, and I'm like, oh no, this is wrong. Let me fix that, and I'll just you know I'll make an edit and put some stuff in. But if if you know if, if none of that matters, if somebody can come in and just wipe it out, uh, you know, then I'm not going to bother. I mean, I'll use the site, but I'm not going to contribute. So I think I think that's part of the problem is, is this idea that fandom is making all this money off of the free will work of these volunteers, which this is a big issue right now because of other companies out there like Reddit, which is also experiencing, you know, there's a big conflict between the volunteers who create the content that make Reddit what it is and the company that wants to make money. And that's a big conflict. And the problem is the way wikis work is that they are governed by consensus. And that's that's why you can't just go on a wiki and completely just mess it up. I mean, you can. You can go in there and delete everything and just write whatever you want. But it's going to get switched back really quick because other people are invested in keeping that content up there and keeping that content accurate. And if that can just be overridden by fandom, then no one's going to put in that effort anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's it. I think that the commentary was like like the guy who's been working on this grimace page was like, I mean, what's the point? I, I'm not going to do this anymore because what's the point if they can just change it back? And and once you lose that person, you lose that person. That person's not right. Got, not going to come back. And because you've it's it's not that you've like made them lose interest for a little while and they'll they'll be back. They they were passionate enough about this to sit down and do it, and you just stole that. And they're not going to be passionate about it anymore after that. There are not a lot of Grimace fans out there with the knowledge right. to fill a page about the, a McDonald's marketing character from 30 years ago. And and that's the thing is, is these are the, the people maintaining this unofficial McDonald's history, this McDonald's wiki, are the company's fans. These are the people who know this stuff and you're treating them like like garbage. Yeah. McDonald's should have hired this guy to write the Grimace right. ad campaign that, for why the shake. Why would you not have done that? <laughs> right. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. There's so many other ways they could have done something. They could have, instead of taking over the page, put something on the page in cooperation with the guy who had contributed the most or something along those lines, you know, put an ad on the page. You know, we, I get, you know, we expect to see ads on these sites now. So put an ad on the page, which is the completely, take it over and disregard the work of someone else because he's not the corporation. Mm, yeah, it's not good. So our last headline is uh, interesting and it, it kind of betrays a bit of a, 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 a bias from older generations to younger generations because it's the Wall Street Journal and the headline, or no, I'm sorry, it's Insider. It's not Wall Street Journal, Business Insider. And it says, uh, Gen Z is taking courses on how to send an email and what to wear, wear in the office. Oh, according to a Wall Street Journal report. So they're insiders just recycling Wall Street Journal's content. Good job. Um, 
So it's talking about how like these Gen Zers are coming out of college and they don't know how to talk to people in their office and how to dress and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, but this isn't new. Like this has always been the case where young people have had to have training in how to office etiquette, what to wear, how to attend a business lunch. Right. Am I wrong? I mean, this is not something that has always been taught life skills have been taught to kids for ages, right? It's just the latest version of the younger generation is horrible and stupid and look how dumb they are when every previous generation has been that younger generation at some point. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's, it's the trades are really suffering from this. I've, I've read a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, open letters from people who are trying to get into the trades who are young people and they go into the trades and they'll be like an apprentice to an electrician. And all the electrician does is complain about how much they don't know. And they're like, I'm apprenticed to you for the purpose of learning how to do this stuff. <laughs> how can I know this stuff if I'm apprenticed to you and you're supposed to be teaching me, you know? So, yeah, I, I think, I, I think there is a lot, a lot is taken for granted in, um, in how, I don't know. It, like, it's amazing that we have these resources. I, how resourceful is it that the Gen Zers are not being taught this by someone, and so they're teaching each other by going on YouTube and sharing videos about how to do it? Right. That's yeah. awesome. And TikTok you know? videos and that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah, that is true. You know, one of the things that comes up in the article is talking about how the events of the past three three years since the pandemic and so much remote work has left a lot of young workers without those skills that you learn. They've been working for a company remotely for one, two or three years. And, you know, by this point, they should have a lot more of those office skills that they don't have. And now they're being called into the office. I can see that being a thing that you might need to have special onboarding things for people who's worked for you for a while, but need to understand how an office environment works versus remote work. So I can't wear your PJ bottoms <laughs> into <laughs> the office. Don't do it. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it also, I don't know if y'all saw the stuff about the, the quiet quitting thing, Yeah, uh, which was basically just propaganda for shaming people to, who had, Danes to not go above and beyond and just do what they were hired to do. I feel like this is that same kind of same vein where it's a lot of corporations are really upset that the traditional work like structure has been upset by the pandemic and they really want people back in the office, even when you don't need people in the office for a lot of these kind of jobs mm -hmm. in the first place. And it just feels like more backlash from that. Because what's a manager do if he's not like standing over your cube asking you for your TPS reports and cover sheets? <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. the, I, I think going to need you to come in on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of times, like, the, with, I mean, I'm, this is only like anecdotally, but the the idea that I, I have a feeling in some corporations, these middle managers suddenly don't have much to do because people are just doing their jobs that without having to have someone stand next to them making sure they're doing their jobs you know it, 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 there's a, i think there's a little of that yeah the, the quiet quitting thing yeah that does that one bugged me because that betrays this this idea that young people who work are supposed to not put in 40 hours that like they've been contracted and paid are being paid to do but should put in 60 to show that they're part of the team uh, well then pay me to do my work like uh, yeah yeah, yeah. 
or, or, or yeah, you should be, uh, yeah, you should be doing, do, you should be going above and beyond. And it's like, well, when you, when you don't even really give me a clear indication of what I should be doing for my <laughs> right. job, how do I go above and beyond? You know? Right. Right. So I, I, I think it's a case of uh, Gen Z being given the, the short end of the stick, like the millennials were before them in a lot of ways. So um, yeah, the, I'm glad that things are available for people who need it, but let's not, we need to stop whitewashing or, 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 or stereotyping is what I'm looking for. Stereotyping whole generations of people, Mm -hmm. people, individuals. And also this article is basically like making fun of people for attempting to learn things and better themselves. (laughs) Right. Like you, you realize there's a problem. You went to get some correction for the problem. And, um, and, and the thing that bothers me is like there, they did not feel like there was someone they could reach out to in a person to person way in their, mm-hmm. in their office environment, that's troublesome. And that, that's, yeah. that, and then this article is exactly why, because they didn't want to be, you know, made, made fun, fun of up. or pigeonholed yeah. for being a Gen Z or, uh, and not knowing this stuff, you know? Yeah. You ought to know it. You just, you just right. should absorb it from the atmosphere. <laughs> All right. So those are our headlines. So let's move on to talk about our picks of the week. And uh, Thomas, I'll let you go first. What's your pick this week? All right, so I'm keeping the open source uh, train running here. Um, my my kids and I have started making a video game again, <laughs> which we do nice. from time to time. Uh, and I think I've mentioned uh, uh, this this program before, but I don't know that I've actually picked it as a pick of the week. And I went and checked the pick of the week because I was like, have I? But no, this is a, a game engine. Uh, now, if you don't know, you can actually get Unity and Unreal Game Engine for free and can start developing games in them for free. Uh, it's not until you make a game and actually start selling the game that you have to start paying for Unity and, and Unreal. But this game engine, this is an open source game engine that you can contribute to. It's called Go, Godot or Godot. Or Godot. Not, yeah. Everybody says it differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it's, it's a great, uh, a great game engine. They just released version four and I feel like it is a hundred percent a competitor for Unreal or Unity, either one. Uh, I love it. I love the community. If there's something that you need, again, this goes back to that whole concept of if there's something that you need and you mention to the community that you need it, uh, you're very likely to get a response and to get something built into the program uh, specifically for whatever your uh, your challenges. And there's a lot of YouTubers that I follow that use this engine that have had exactly that happen, especially with this newer version that came out. Some of the things they were asking for slid into this newer version. Uh, so steep learning curve because it is a game engine uh but there are so many youtube videos available uh and i i just sat down for three hours this weekend and put together the the bare bones of a first person shooter that i was going to do with my kids so we're going to do like a a first person perspective rpg i got a little capsule that's got arms that move around and uh you can see them in the screen and uh there's collisions and everything It, it, it works and it took me like three hours to put together along with doing the tutorials to do it so Definitely recommend it if you have a kid that's interested in uh, video game design. Great place for them to start. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, my my son has just started this journey. Uh, he's been doing Tinker for a, about a month and a half, mm-hmm. the, the website mm-hmm. Tinker. And it's been pretty amazing uh, to see he's starting to get ideas. So uh, this is this is cool. I'm, I'm filing all this stuff away. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Jack, what's your pick this week? My pick of the week is uh, the company Framework. Uh, they make uh, currently they make a 13 inch laptop, 
that is modular and designed to be upgraded so you can extend the life of it. And it's not just like with most laptops or most Windows laptops where you can swap out the RAM or maybe the hard drive. It's designed to be completely user openable. You can open it up. You can swap out the main motherboard that has the processor on it. Um, all the components, you can t- take them out. They have very uh, detailed guides on how to do the repairs on everything, and they sell all the components. Um, so like the the screen, the speakers, the batteries, everything is user replaceable. And they use like magnetic clasps to hold the computer together and standard size screws so you don't have to get any sort of weird ones. Um, another feature that is really cool about it is that they have these modular bays on the side you can get these little cards so you get like USB-C or USB-A or whatever kind of ports you need you can swap them out with the cards on the side so you can customize it based on what you need um it just looks like a, a really cool project i i'm in that boat where i don't currently need a new computer right now but i think if i get one this is definitely what i'm going to go with and the nice thing is they have a lot of community community support in linux so you can and go with that if you want. It also does support Windows. Yeah. I mean, you could get it pre-built with Windows pre-installed, right, for more. But you can also get a DIY edition that you build yourself, and then you install Linux, and there you go. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And I've seen the videos where if you get the DIY edition, they ship you, like, the box of the parts, and you put them together. And it's it's pretty straightforward to put together. So That's fun. Really cool. I like this. I like this movement in technology to be more user repairable. Cool. Excellent. So my pick this week is is something that came up because of recent. Uh, it was stuff in the news. The Canada is on fire, apparently, and has been sending smoke and, you know, all kinds of the particulates in the air down through the northeast, the central part of the United States and all that sort of stuff and been causing Difficulties breathing for anyone who has, I mean, even folks who don't have breathing problems, but everyone in my family all have asthma and various other breathing problems. So I picked up a couple, uh, a couple of these Lavoit, Lavois, <laughs> I would say if I, because I took French, but Lavoit air purifiers that are pretty good. They, each one, it says it can cover up to a thousand square feet. So a most of my small house, my house is 1400 square feet, but I've actually gotten one for each of our bedrooms and put it in there and it runs pretty much all the time. And it's, you, it has a high power mode, but it also has a uh, low power, uh, like quiet mode and can even has the benefit of being able to turn off all of the glowy bits, the, uh, the blue LEDs. So it's completely nice. dark That's at nice. night. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's really it, it it it's effective. Everyone in my family has said that they they definitely feel like it's helped them sleep at night. Um, it has a one filter that you can clean every. You know, I have a, a reminder set for me to clean them. Wipe I wipe them off with a cloth once a month, and then you replace them. I think every six months, and the filters are not that expensive. Um, what was it? Uh, I forgot to look it up, but the the filters are pretty yeah like $30 for a filter and uh, so it's really reasonable um yeah and it's it also does it's HEPA for uh pet hair and all that sort of stuff so there's, there's not a problem so and it's $100 which is 
really good price. That's a you know, for 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 a decent air filter. That's a good price. I have another air filter that I got for this office that I'm in right now. That's a smart one. I'm going to talk about that in a future pick of the week. But I I wanted a smart one so that I could. Uh, control it remotely and automatically so that it's not like running loud while I'm trying to record a podcast, but uh, that's a future pick, but the Lavoit is a nice one that I can recommend. So uh, definitely, uh, especially if you've been suffering <laughs> these from these wildfires, something I'd recommend. Excellent. All right. So that does it for this time. We would love to hear your feedback on anything we've talked about this time. Uh, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the StarQuest Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or send an email to technology at sqpn.com or please visit the StarQuest Discord community, which is a great community at sqpn.com slash discord. And if you don't know what Discord were is or if you're intimidated by it, don't be. It's really easy to use. Definitely just come by and check it out. Just just, you know, come in and see what it's like and then go from there. Everyone wants to be very helpful to all the new users. So definitely come check us out. You can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at starquest.fm slash TEC220. Please write a review of the show in Apple Podcasts or any of the podcast directories that allow you to write reviews and share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community and reach more listeners with, I think, uh, some really helpful technology tips and news and all that sort of thing. Until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. Thomas Sanerho, thank you as well. It's been great. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>